fall out. Well, good morning. I uh, was not informed that the pastors here wear suits on Easter Sunday. <laughs> it's a little bit of a shock, but I'm glad most of you have joined me in keeping it, keeping it a classy, casual Easter. Um, I wanted to begin with a Easter tradition. I'm sure if you have ever grown up in or around the church, around other traditions of the faith, one of the great acclamations is on Easter Sunday, you get to proclaim what is true, that Jesus is risen. So what's going to happen is I'm going to say Christ is risen, and then with a little bit of gusto, I'm going to warn you, we will do it again if there's not enough gusto, we are going to say he is risen indeed. So you ready? Ready to try it? Here we go. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's do it one more time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Wonderful job. Great job. So today is Easter. Christ is risen. Now, as we think about what Easter Sunday means, I was drawn back to a childhood classic, a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Has anyone ever read or seen Choose Your Own Adventures. Uh, this, these look pretty retro, I'll acknowledge. I don't know what my family was doing in the 90s that we had a number of these around my house. My temptation with Choose Your Own Adventures is I always wanted to figure out what the ending was. So if any of you ever did this, where I would never quite follow the rules. I would skip and I would just look like, where's the most fun page for me to land on? And then I would sometimes work my way backwards. That's not how these work. Uh, that's not the point of what these books are meant to be. Instead, these books are meant to be a choice that leads you forward on an adventure. If you've ever read one of these, you open up to the first page, and at the bottom, you get two options. Do you want to follow the red path, or do you need to choose the blue? Go to this page or this page to find out what's next. In many ways, life is, in fact, a choose-your-own-adventure. Uh, there's this amazing quote, amazing quote from possibly one of the most amazing people who has ever lived, and that is Helen Keller. Helen Keller said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. Isn't that just kind of like a whew, that, that'll send a tingle down your spine. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. Helen Keller, of course, if you haven't heard Helen Keller's story, Helen Keller was 19 months old when scarlet fever gripped her body and left her unable to see, unable to hear, and unable to communicate. In fact, in her autobiography, she describes her childhood until the age of five as if she was out at sea living in a dense fog. I mean, just picture for a moment. Imagine you cannot hear, you cannot see, and you cannot communicate. The story of Helen Keller is incredible that through the help of Annie Sullivan, she would sort of receive this gift. She would describe it as almost a revelation. It would open up all of these new possibilities with the ability to communicate. Helen Keller began to just explore the world with a passion that would lead her on to becoming a best-selling author. She would eventually win an Academy Award, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I mean, for Helen Keller, life was a daring adventure, or it was nothing at all. But I think for many of us, if we're being totally honest, this Easter, because here we are in 2022. We're checking in with you this Easter. After this season of life, we have all been enduring. I think it might be fair to say many of us, many of us are a little bit closer to that out at sea, living in a dense fog kind of existence. I think for some of us, it could be, it could be the sort of malaise 
the malaise of what has happened over the last two years, the sense of being in lockdown and then out of lockdown, waiting for things to get different, realizing that things are going to be the same, always hearing the lingering threat that another lockdown is coming. For others of us, our fog might be something going on at home, could be a marriage that was not what you anticipated or expected. It could be realizing that either being a parent or working things out with your parents is harder than you ever imagined. It could, of course, be work. It could be everyday grinds and struggles to just get by. And as you look at your life, if you're honest with yourself, really checking in this Easter, it feels a bit like a dense fog, like most of life is not, in fact, that much of an adventure. Instead, everything just seems kind of hazy and monotonous and mundane. I want to ask you this morning, what does the Bible have to say to the dense fog of our existence? Is there any good news on Easter Sunday? Is there any sense in which what Christ has done makes a difference to that dense fog? And so we're going to look at a book in the New Testament called Ephesians. As we look at this book, I'm just want to make a few points. I'm actually, as you all get to know me more here at Community, I am unfortunately really into history. So you're going to hear a bit more history, historical context than you probably want, but the point to restrain myself this morning is that in Ephesus, Ephesus is one of the major cities in the Roman Empire. Paul is writing to a very cultured and a very urban and intellectual crowd. Ephesus would have had all of the aspects of the Roman Empire, there would have been various gods that you could choose to worship. There would have been numerous political pressures and realities, things that Caesar wanted done in Rome that were being executed in Ephesus that didn't make any sense, orders that you had to follow, uh, Roman military might that you were navigating at all points. There were ethnic tensions in Ephesus as many different people groups were intersecting in an urban environment. And finally, there was a multitude of household tensions. Uh, You're just trying to figure out what does it mean for men to relate to women in a Roman society where mostly men had all power and control? What did it mean for masters to relate to slaves where for the most part masters could do anything that they wanted? And what did it mean for parents to relate to children where children are just sort of there at the whim of their parents? Do any of these sound familiar or interesting (laughs) to you as possible tensions? And yet what happens here in Ephesus is that Paul is going to write to this group of people who have gathered around a man that they believe died on Friday and then was raised again on Sunday. And this group that called themselves Christians were looking to the Apostle Paul and they were asking him, can you help us sort this out? Can you help us understand what this means, why this matters, what this has to do with our lives? And so Paul is going to say this, and I'll warn you, he starts with a little bit of bad news. He begins in Ephesians 2.1. Once you were dead. Once you were dead. Death is not exactly the most pleasant conversation uh, to have with your family around the Easter table. Feel free to talk about it at lunch today if if your parents are here. Uh, Once you were dead, if you think about the greatest adventures, right? Every adventure has a villain. That's why we go to the movies. That's why we watch these great stories. We want to know not just who the heroes are, but who the villains are. But ultimately, the true villain of every story, of every adventure, is in fact death. Death is the great reality that stalks every hero. Death is the great threat that sort of lingers over our head. And for that reason, we love a good story 
when death is resisted, right? When the hero miraculously escapes death or saves a vulnerable person from what seemed like it should have been a certain death. But the truth of the matter is, most of us need help being honest about the fact that we will one day die. Again, I didn't promise you that this would be a pleasant start to Paul's message or that this is the conversation you want to talk to with your parents at lunch. But if you want to get into it, we will die. In fact, uh, to use just one interesting example, the philosopher Martin Heidegger, who was the influential philosopher, you probably heard him about, about him in your college philosophy class. Heidegger had this central idea that he said every human, in order to find an authentic existence, must come to the realization that they are facing their death at all times. They are, as he would say, being towards death. Now, that's kind of a heavy, but somewhat of a profound thought. If, if you're truly going to live, you have to first embrace the fact that at any moment, you could die. But I think the Apostle Paul here is actually upping the stakes on Heidegger. The Apostle Paul doesn't just say you will die, the Apostle Paul says you actually are already dead. And he's going to elaborate if we go to the next part of the verse. Paul is going to say, you were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Now, this is interesting because Heidegger is trying to get us to figure out how to be authentically human, Paul says the most authentic thing we can acknowledge is that we are not only dead right now, but we actually are contributing to our death. We are responsible for the death we not only one day will find, but that we are currently living in. Now, I want to just acknowledge here, being in the city, I know I'm just getting back, but sin is not exactly the most pleasant term, is it? Like, again, I'm just giving you lots of fun <laughs> Easter conversations to talk about with your family, which is great. Uh, sin is not very pleasant because sin has this sort of heavy baggage, a sort of religious connotation, a lot of pressure, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. But just hear the Apostle Paul out for a minute on Easter Sunday. What Paul's trying to get you to see is that every one of us, if we're truly honest with ourselves, every one of us knows that we live in the contradiction of our own behaviors, that though we intend, though we desperately intend to be good, I don't think there's a single person here who would say they don't hope that they are a good person. Every single one of us has found ourselves inevitably pulled back to that reality in which we are contributing to our own death. We are making choices that contribute to our own death. I, I know I live this out in a small way when I drink far too much coffee even though I know I shouldn't, when I eat food that I know has not been made for a human body to consume. <laughs> and yet, on a macro scale, I think even bigger than that, all of us, if we're totally being honest, know we have hurt those that we love. We know that our pride and our anger has seized us in ways that we did not intend and could not control. I mean, in some ways, we are all living in this contradiction that if we could truly be honest with ourselves, the Apostle Paul says, you not only are going to die, you already are dead because you have contributed to the sins and the disobedience which is cutting you off from life and is cutting you off from God. So that, of course, is a very heavy start 
to an Easter Sunday sermon. And the question I'm asking in this moment is, what next, Paul? Paul, give us some help. Tell us where we should go. What is the answer to this contradiction of myself? What is the impossible solution to my own hypocrisy? Paul's going to say this in Ephesians 2.4. But God. I, I love, I love that God juts into our story. God involves himself in our adventure. There's this wonderful movie, if you've had a chance to see it. It's kind of a hidden gem. I talked to friends, not many of them have actually sat down and watched it. It ironically involves Will Ferrell. So take just a moment and ask yourself, where is John going? Uh, there's, it's the movie Stranger Than Fiction. I think it came out in 2007. And in the movie, Will Ferrell is an IRS agent, and he's living his life, and all of a sudden, he begins to hear this voice narrating his existence. Have you seen this? And so he's walking through his day, and all of a sudden, a voice starts narrating, and the voice actually begins directing and anticipating what Will Ferrell is meant to do. And as he's sort of wrestling with his psychologist, trying to figure out what in the world has happened, he eventually discovers he is actually part of a story. And this story is being written about him. And he realizes, as any person would who finds themselves in a story, he desperately needs to meet his narrator. And so the journey and the adventure begins. I love that what the Apostle Paul says is that when it comes to your adventure, you are not living this story out by yourself. Instead, God has involved himself in your story. In fact, God is the author of this story you are living in. Even better, God is the hero of this adventure you are living. If we continue in Ephesians 2.4, we're told this God is so rich in mercy. This isn't just a character that is ambiguous. This isn't just someone that we may or may not be able to rely on. Instead, the Apostle Paul tells us God is so rich, he's overflowing. That word for rich is the word plusius, which means to overflow. God finds mercy flowing out of him and you track with the logic of what Paul wants us to hear, we are contributing to our death. We are responsible. We are agents. We are active storytellers who are choosing death all the time. But God, with compassion, wants to involve himself in your story. Paul's going to continue. He says, God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Do you see the radical reach of this exchange? You, even now, are not just being towards death. You are dead in your sins. But God, rich in mercy, rich in love, is going to do the most heroic sacrifice that could possibly be done. Uh, it's interesting to just think through the great stories of our generation, the great stories of our time. I think about Star Wars and Harry Potter. Y you trace these stories, and in every single one, the ultimate gift, the ultimate sacrifice, is when the hero realizes they must die. They must offer their life over so that they can live. Now, you have to ask yourself, why, as a culture and society, do we keep coming back to this same story? It's because God 
so rich in mercy, showed us his love by offering himself for us. Now, if this is true, if this is the God on Easter Sunday, if this is what the resurrection means, my question is, what kind of adventure does this invitation, this gift of love set us on? I've got three. Three invitations that we embark when we choose our own adventure. First, we receive in Jesus a life with no fear. If we keep reading in Ephesians 2, Paul's going to say this, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. I love this image. So you have so many tensions and threats covering our culture in this very moment. I'm going to mention a few, and you're going to feel your blood pressure rise. You have a war taking place in Ukraine. You have a potential nuclear holocaust lingering over our news feeds. You have rising oil prices, which means every time you go to the pump, you feel stressed out. You have inflation at all-time highs, and our culture freaks out because there's so much to be afraid of. There's so many unknowns. There's so many variables in our adventure, and this is what Paul tells us. But Christ, because he raised us from the dead with him, we now sit with Christ secure in the heavenly realm. Here's the first gift of Easter Sunday. You can, by embracing Christ, live a life with no fear. Let's talk about the second adventure a life with no regrets. I think one of the great reasons why we avoid this topic of sin and responsibility for the death that we're choosing all the time is because we are covered. Each of us are covered with shame. There's so much hypocrisy in our own being. There's so many regrets that we stack our lives full of. And at some point, you have to ask yourself, what do I do with my regrets? Where do I take them? Who can take these regrets from me? And this is where the Apostle Paul is going to continue. He's going to say, For it is by grace you have been saved and through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let me give you some encouragement this Easter Sunday. If you have not been at church for a while, guess what? You are not any worse off as a Christian than someone who's been here every Sunday. If your life is stacked high with behaviors that you hate and wish never had existed, guess what? It is not by your works that you are going to be saved, but it is through grace. It is a gift of God. And so you begin to realize when you choose this adventure with Christ, there are no regrets that need to linger over you because God has offered you his salvation by grace. This isn't your doing. There isn't anything that can be done to maintain this. There is nothing that you can do to contribute to it. Instead, God in his mercy has given you his grace. And now in grace, there is no regrets. Let me give you the final one. Finally, Jesus offers us life with a clear purpose. Let me give you one of I would argue, I'll say this a lot, so forgive me, but one of the best verses in the New Testament. Just sit with this one for me for a minute. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. As I have been getting to know this church, as I've been talking to so many of you and been hearing your stories, the thing that just strikes me over and over and over again is that if you're living in the city, typically you're here because you believe what you're doing 
matters. You believe that what you should be doing is something that matters to the world. And here's what Paul says. You were created as by a craftsman. Think about someone sitting over a pottery wheel, turning, turning each vessel. Think about a carpenter who slowly and meticulously works his wood. Think about the artist who stares in front of a canvas and slowly brings to life every intentional stroke. You are God's handiwork. You were created for good works. And so when you turn to Christ, what opens up before you is a purposefulness by syncing up your existence with God's handiwork of you. Could anything be more thrilling than finding a life of purpose knowing that your creator has intended you for this life. So as we bring this to a close, I wanted to just share a story, testimony. I, I don't know that uh, everyone in our church realizes that one of the gifts of community that we're just really excited about is that we're not actually just one church, but we're spread all across Chicagoland. We're in the city, we're out of the city, and so we have these opportunities to sort of gather and collect stories from around Chicagoland, and this one is going to be by Joe, who I think just wonderfully demonstrates what it looks like to find a new life, a new adventure in Christ. So we'll go ahead and turn this on. My name is Joe, and my wife Candace and I, along with our two kids, Evie and Will, have been attending Community Christian Church for the last seven years. And most of my teenage and, and 20s was lived for me. And there was a form of success that I had on a worldly level um, that through the recession of 2008 was taken away from me. And it was during that moment where I had all these things that I attached my identity to being removed out of my life one by one when I realized that I had nowhere else to look but up. And it was in that moment that I think for the first time in my life, I fell to my knees and intentionally prayed up to God that I can't do this on my own anymore. I can't live this life without you. I need you in my life. And from that moment, my life was forever changed. You know, it's been a dream my whole life to be a, a husband and a father. Having Jesus in my life for those roles has given me the direction on how he wants me to serve in that way. We moved to Plainfield in 2015, and at the same time we had our daughter, and we knew that we wanted to create a life that had a house filled with faith and, and a relationship with Jesus. And once we started attending, I actually started to feel um, these new relationships come into my life. And these were relationships that, whether I realized it or not, I needed. There was a moment where I was asked to be a part of a small group, a men's small group. And this was kind of a big milestone moment for me. I realized that this was gonna be a commitment, not just to myself, but to these other men. And I decided to join a men's small group. Um, shortly thereafter, I began leading a men's small group. And then the most amazing thing happened is when I finally got to the place where I was ready to publicly share my love for Jesus and was baptized at Community Christian Church as an adult. Initially, I was very uh, nervous. I was nervous to, to, to let go and to surrender. It was such a beautiful moment for me because it allowed me to tell my church and my family and my friends uh, just how much Jesus meant to me. You know, when I started attending community, I would have never imagined the adventure that I was on. This has been incredible. This has been incredible for my life. It's been incredible for my family. 
And it's something that I look back and say, I could have never had this big vision for myself, and this has to come from God. And so when I think about the future, I think about what does God have in store for me? And it's fun to have those conversations with God and to say, I don't know where you're bringing me, but wherever it is, I'm coming along with you. So whatever you have in store for my life, I'm all in. And I surrender to it because from the moment of me surrendering for the first time, you brought nothing but goodness into my life. Great to hear Joe's story. I return you to this quote, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. Uh, again, I just am struck. I, as the new pastor, I'm getting a chance to sit down and hear story after story. And uh, I'm just amazed that here in this church, in this room, uh, even though many of the people who typically worship with us are out and about, they're out in the suburbs, many of you are new, we're so glad to have you here this Sunday. I, I just want you to know that story you just heard is actually happening here. Like story after story of pe person after person. Uh, at breakfast this morning before the service, I heard yet another one. It was a story about someone who was far away from God, someone living under that, that dense fog and just through the disruption of God's intrusion in their story, they came back to God. They found themselves in this church. They joined a community here through a small group. They began growing in their faith, and now they have begun walking closer and closer and closer with God. I just want to ask you this morning, are you stuck? Easter it's such a wonderful time. It's a celebratory time. It's so good to be with family if family's here. Uh, but Easter can, it can be this perfect intrusion. It can be this perfect interruption to the daily routines, to the monotony, to the dense fog, and it can actually become this invitation. Do you want to go on an adventure? Is there something you've been missing that God wants to invite you into today?